Okay, good evening everyone. This week we begin the book of Devarim. So uh, we're not really going to focus on the Parsha of Devarim, but we know that Parsha's Devarim is always the Shabbos before Tisha B'Av. So we will be focusing primarily on a discussion of Tisha B'Av. Although, uh, if I have time, I will mention something about Devarim. You know, and, uh, and in general, we need to know why is it that Devarim always precedes Tisha B'Av. And there's a lot of answers on that. Uh, the simplest answer is in the very beginning of the Parsha, Moshe reviews some of the events that happened to the Jewish people. And he speaks about the sin of the golden calf and the sin of the spies, which are all related to the three weeks in Tisha B'Av. So that's the simple answer. Um, but we'll see if we can find something a little bit uh, deeper than that. And also, what's the purpose of Devarim? The purpose of Devarim is called by the rabbis Mishnah Torah, review of the Torah. What do we need to review of the Torah for? It's very, there's a little bit of new information in Sefer Devarim, but what else can we uh, glean from uh, a Sefer Devarim? Uh, really, by the time we finish Bamidbor, the Torah is basically finished. The Jews are about to go to the land of Israel. So there's a lot of talk about that as well. So maybe someone will remind me at the end to mention that if we have time. Uh, also, I just uh, celebrated a seum in my house this evening. I was uh, blessed to learn with my son, Mayor, throughout the every morning, and we just happened to finish Maseches Moed Katan today. So I made a seum, and because I made a seum, I was able to invite my family uh, to a celebratory meal, and I was able to have meat uh, tonight. As if you have a seum, you're allowed to have meat. So uh, that's an. I wanted to talk about that as well. Um, why are we allowed to eat meat at a seum? We're saying, well, the seum's a celebration of you, you study Torah. Fine. So why does that give us the dispensation um, to not uh, have the restriction of meat just because we're having a seum? So if I have time, I'll get to that as well. <clears throat> but let's get to the uh, sources we have over here. And uh, we'll start with the statement of the Ohev Yisroel, the Aptarov, on Parshas Pinchas. We're backing it up a few weeks. We have Pinchas almost always is the beginning of the three weeks. And uh, one of the reasons for the three weeks in Parshas Pinchas, um, says the Ohev Yisroel, is following. We know one of the, the majority part of the Torah reading of Parshas Pinchas is the Musaf offerings on the various holidays. So the Ov Yisrael says like this, he says, if you count up how many days are from the 17th of Thomas until Tisha B'Av, you get 21 days. Okay? And he says that these days are in fact the source, these 21 days is the source for all of the holidays and festivals that we celebrate, which add up to 21 days as well. And he lists them. Shabbos is one day, not Tosh Chodesh, but Rosh Chodesh is one day. I mean, really, really, obviously, there's 52 days of Shabbos and 12 to 15 days of Rosh Chodesh, but uh, but it's the one day of Rosh Chodesh, so to speak, and the one day of Shabbos. Seven days of Pesach. No, 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 because the other ones don't occur in the three weeks. So then you have seven days of Pesach, then you have Shavuos one day, two days of Rosh Hashanah, 
Yom Kippur, eight days of Sukkot, comes out to 21. So the question is, so what does he mean by saying that the 21 days from the 17th of Thomas until Tisha B'Av are the source for these holidays? I have to understand what does that mean over here. And a similar statement by another great rabbi, the Tzvi Latzadik, says, really, if you really count, there's 22. If you include Yom Kippur, there's 22, there's 22 days. If you include Yom Kippur in that. Because if you... What? That's what I'm saying. But the, when I said 21 the first time, that's not including Tisha B'Av. If, you, if you're counting the 17th of Tammuz, right, was a Sunday, was a Sunday. Tisha B'Av is on a Sunday, so that's really 22 days. So the first interpretation is saying 21 days from the 17th of Tammuz up to, but not including Tisha B'Av. The second source is saying, well, there's 22 days. Bein Abitzarim is between 17th of Thomas and Tisha B'Av, including Tisha B'Av. He says that corresponds to the 22 days from Rosh Hashanah to Shemini Atzeres, the first 22 days of the month of Tishra. And he says that the earlier tzaddikim would mitigate the impact of each of the 22 days of Bein Abitzarim. They're very sad days. And they'd mitigate it by associating each day mentally with its counterpart in the first 22 days of Tishrei. So they would try to diminish that, the, the judgment day of, of the days of Tishrei with the days of the more festive days of Tishrei. And I would like to understand what does that mean, but there's clearly a connection between them, and we're going to want to explore what that connection is between those days. Bein Abitzarim are the days that are called between the 17th of Thomas and the 9th of Av. It's called Bein Abitzarim, between the fences. Okay, so what else we want to talk about? We want to also talk about the uh, inherent contradictions that lie in Tisha B'Av. Tisha B'Av is a very sad day. There are five primary restrictions about that day that we have, some have studied, and we'll send more information out towards the end of the week. We don't eat, we don't drink, we don't bathe ourselves, we don't anoint ourselves, we don't wear comfortable shoes, we don't have intimacy. It's very much like sitting Shiva to a great extent. Yet the prophet Yirmiyahu in the book of Echa, in the first chapter, as we see in source number three, says the following words, Koro Elai Moed. He proclaimed a Moed against me. That's what the Pasuk says. And based on that, the Shulchan Aruch says, An Tishabav, we do not say Tachanun. We do not fall on our faces. An Tishabav. Which is usually the case for holidays. And we don't because it is called a moed. In a moed, the simple meaning of a moed is a holiday. So, so we discussed the holidays of Rosh Chodesh, Shavuos, etc., etc. So it's a holiday too, which needs some understanding. What kind of holiday? We, we don't want too many of those holidays. Mm-hmm. What, what's so festive about Tisha B'Av that it should be called a holiday that we don't do any tachan? So that's, a, that's one inherent problem. There's another major problem 
The Gemara in Yoma, it's not Yom, it's Yoma. You get all the typos first time around. It says like this. When the sanctuary was destroyed and the non-Jews entered the sanctuary and they see in the holiest of holies the Keruvim, the Cherubic-like figures that were embracing each other. They took them out to the marketplace and they said, these Jews whose blessing is a blessing and whose curse is a curse should be involved in these matters? What this, this you know, uh, 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 images of affection between a boy and a girl? This seems more like for the Greeks, not for the Jews. Immediately they debased them. They took them out to denigrate them. As it says in Echo, all who once respected her debased her, for they saw her nakedness. So they ridiculed the Jewish people for this. Okay. But it's interesting, what did they see? The Cherubim were embracing each other. So, we'll see shortly, the Shita one of the early medieval scholars, quotes... The Rimagash. The Rimagash was a student of Rav Yitzchak Al-Fasi, the Rif, and the mentor, the Rebbe of the Rambam. This brings an interesting question, but to understand the question, we have to look at a couple sources, especially source number six. It says, every Yomtev, when the Jewish people would come to Jerusalem on a festival, there was a number of great tourist attractions, spiritual tourist attractions. And one of them was, they'd come to the, to the, they'd be in the courtyard, they'd bring their korbonos, they'd be in the courtyard, and then they would come approach, but couldn't go too far, to the Hegel, the great temple. And there was a curtain in front of the temple. Quanim would roll away the parochas. And they could look straight in. All the way. After maybe need, have to have good eyes or some binoculars. <laughs> and they'd roll it and you go look right into the holies of holies. And they would see the Kerubim were joined together in an embrace. And they would say to them, Behold, your fondness before the omnipresent is like the fondness of a male and a female. Look how much Hashem loves you. Now, what is this all based on? So Rabbeinu Bachaya, in Sefer Shmos, another one of the great medieval scholars, he discusses what the function of the Keruvim were. What function did they serve? Remember, the Keruvim were attached to the lid of the Aron, the Ark, where the tablets stood. And they were on top of that. So we know that there really was a great marriage that happened in Harsinai, as it were. And Hashem, as it were, married the Jewish people uh, through the receiving of the Torah. And that's why Moshe told the Jews, Vikidashtem, sanctify yourself today and tomorrow because you're going to get married. Kidashtem is from the same word Kiddushim, getting married. And, uh, and like we know, you don't write a document of marriage unless both the bride and groom are, uh, give their assent to it. And we learned that halach from the fact that Hashem, when he gave the Torah to the Jewish people and betrothed us, as it were, Hashem told the Jewish, uh, told Moshe to tell the Jews that we're going to get married, as it were, sanctified today. 
And, uh, and that's Moshe wrote a part of the Torah in advance, a little bit of the historical relationship between us and Hashem. And that was like the ksuva, as it were. And uh, the Jewish people got married, as it were. So says Rabbeinu Bachai in source number seven, the simple understanding is that the Keruvim were a male and female representing the intimacy of the relationship between HaKadosh Baruch Hu, Hashem, and Yisrael and how dear they are to him. The symbolism attests to the fact that this relationship does not involve an intermediary. Not like Christianity. You could talk right to God. As it were, it's a it's a metaphor. The male is like Hashem. The female is the Jewish people. Each Jew embracing each other. Additionally, a second thing, this conveys the message that our prayers and our service should be directed to Hashem directly without an intermediary. This is why they were placed in the inner sanctum in the palace of the Shekhinah, the divine presence toward which everyone directs their prayers. We all face east. And if you're Shalim, you're facing the temple. And if you're by the temple, you're facing west. To the holiest of holies. So therefore, the Kerubim are showing this great relationship that we have with Hashem, an intimate relationship. There has to be no, there need not be any intermediaries. And that our prayer should always be focused to Hashem. Okay. Now, one more little piece we need to know. The Gemara Baba Lasra, source number eight, brings a contradiction between texts. Exactly how were the cherubic-like figures situated? Well, one Pusik says, and their faces were facing one to another. But another Pusik says, and their faces were towards the Hegel. They were not facing one to another. So how do we resolve the contradictory verses? So the Talmud says, there's no difficulty. One Pusik refers of time, to times when Yisrael are compliant with the will of Hashem. When we're osim ritzono shel makom, when we do the will of Hashem, that's when they're facing and hugging each other. And the other verse that says they were towards the Hegel, not facing each other, referred to times the Jews are not doing ritzono shel makom, are not doing the will of Hashem. Okay. That's really fascinating. So, First question we can ask is, what are they doing the will of Hashem, not doing the will of Hashem? Let's just say, this is when the Jews are doing mitzvahs, and this is when the Jews are not doing mitzvahs. What's this, the will of Hashem? Just say, we're, we're doing mitzvahs, we're not doing mitzvahs. Uh, but what is most fascinating is, so let's think about this. So when they're hugging each other, we're doing the will of Hashem. When they're not hugging each other, they're not doing the will of Hashem. So the first question I want to ask is, do you think every time the Jewish people went to Jerusalem on the holidays... Every time we're doing the will of Hashem. How about, let's know, over a hundred years before the temple was destroyed, the prophets were telling us, you're bad. God's going to destroy the temple. You better do tshuva. And if you don't, God's going to destroy your temple. Now, I guess if we would peek in, and the prophets saying those words, we peek into the whole souls, do you think the tshuva affairs would be hugging each other or not? What about the year before God destroyed the temple? Mm-hmm. But the Talmud, Talmud does not, it's interesting, Talmud does not say, well, some years they were hugging each other, some years they weren't. Don't say that. It would appear from the Talmud, from the straight statement, 
that for all 410 years that the first temple stood, each and every one of the holidays, three times a year, so you can multiply 420 times three, and uh, it's over a thousand times, that they were always hugging each other. Fascinating. So when, when were they not facing each other? But now we get to the real question. The real question is, and where did I put it? Did I not? Oh, did I not put this? Oh, yes. Okay, I already said it. So now let's go back to source five. So what happened? God destroyed the temple, right? Would you say now for sure they're not doing the will of Hashem? It's pretty clear. They're not doing the will of Hashem. The goyim are going into the temple and they pull out the cherubim and what do we see? They're hugging each other. Now, that does not make any sense. Because if Hashem destroyed the temple, for sure they're not doing the will of Hashem. So they're not doing the will of Hashem. What are they doing hugging each other? This is the great question that the Rimagash asks. Either way, we have a question. Either way, we have a question. If if that was the barometer, the karum or the barometer of our relation with Hashem. So we're asking two questions really. One the Rimagash is asking, so if when the temple was destroyed, clearly the barometer was not good. So what are they hugging each other for? I'm adding the question, what about all the other times in the temple? They were hugging each other. That doesn't seem to make sense either. When do we ever see them not hugging each other? Talmud says when they're not doing the worship, we don't have any sources to show us that they weren't hugging each other. Now Talmud wouldn't say if you're not doing the will that that they're that they're not that they're not hugging each other. But we never have any Talmudic sources that say, oh, here was a story where he said they weren't hugging each other. Do you, you understand the question here? So let us Are give. No, that's what I'm saying. Oh, okay. I don't I don't have any source. There might be one, but I haven't come across one yet. But you'd figure you'd find one. You figure you'd find one. So let me share with you the answer. Again, another typo, source number nine. It should not say Shira Mukubetsa. Sounds like a girl's name. It's the Shita Mukubetsa. Shita means the opinions, Mukubetsa means collection. It's an anthology of, of early of medieval sources. So he explains like this. He says both of them really stood on one line as the Pusuk states. Really, they never, they didn't face each other. They did not face each other. And that they were embracing each other as a male and female was only when Yisrael ascended on the festivals. Seems they only embraced when they ascended on the festivals. Okay, now, why is that? This was, in other words, it seems the standard position when they, you have to remember, what, what was the first, what they had to make it. So how did they make it the first time? So they made it the first time not facing each other. That was what was made. So now, when they came for festivals, it seemed then, uh, then they looked at each other, hugged each other. This was a miracle to show the love that Hashem has for Yisrael, like the love of male and female. Okay. Now when the Goyim entered the Heichal, the temple, when the temple was destroyed, they were also miraculously embracing. 
just as they were on the holidays, to demonstrate Hashem's love for Yisrael to them. Okay. Let's try to understand this very important Rimagash. Now, the simple shot would be is that Hashem wants to show the Goyim that although I've destroyed the temple, I still love the Jewish people. That's a simple interpretation. But that's hard to understand because what do, what do the Goyim care? <laughs> what do the Goyim care? Yeah, but, you know, it doesn't matter. It doesn't really matter. It doesn't really matter. They're not going to listen. Listen, if you hate somebody that destroyed the temple, you don't really care what they... Like, for example, even if Trump would bring world peace to the entire world, they would still impeach him. You know, it's so impeach him because peace is a terrible thing. I'm just... Then it'll be terrible. Right? So, what do the non-Jews care? But the deeper interpretation, obviously, is for the Jewish people. That even, here's the point, even when I'm destroying the temple, and the Jews themselves must say Hashem hates us. Because we're so terrible that he had to destroy our temple, even though Almighty himself doesn't like these kinds of children. And Hashem is saying, no, that's not true. That the truth of the matter is, now that the temple's being destroyed, I love you even more. Now, if you think about this, this makes a lot of sense. Let's say a parent has to discipline a child. Now, a normal parent, and, not, and unfortunately, what the world is today, not too many parents are normal anymore. You used to be able to say this 40 years ago a lot easier. Now it's not so easy to say it. A parent who really loves a child the last thing they want to do is discipline a child. And they're in so much pain having to inflict some type of punishment to the child because that's not what they want to do, but it's something that sometimes they have to do. If you truly love your child and don't want him to grow up to be a juvenile delinquent, you must discipline a child when it is necessary and only necessary. And when you do that, it gives you so much pain and you feel so much rachmonis, so much mercy for the child. And that makes your love even greater. When you see your child suffering and you want to give them good things, but you can't right now. So the love just wells up inside of him. And you've got to, so to speak, disguise the love so that the punishment comes through as a punishment. You can't be smiling when you're disciplining him. Because you're smiling, the kid's going to think you didn't do anything wrong. But the parent doesn't really want the discipline at all, but he has to discipline him. In order to make it to a discipline, he has to look at the parents upset. But really, inside, the parent loves the child and is so sad that he can't show that love to the child. And, and because of that, and he has to hide the feelings of love. The love is just welling up inside and he's wishing he could, he could really shower the child with goodness. But he can't. So it's like pent up love that can't come out. Now this is what a good healthy parent. Okay. So therefore Hashem is telling the Jewish people that although what you're seeing from me seems to be terrible anger 
and I'm just destroying everything, and you're watching the temple destroyed and tens of thousands of Jews being brutally murdered, I want you to know that that barometer is telling us the truth and that I really, really love you more than anything else. And that's why we know, for example, tradition tells us the Medrash Sheikh in source number 10 that says Mashiach ben David's birth is on Tisha B'Av. Whatever that means, I'm not going to go into that right now, but no matter how terrible things are, Hashem is preparing the way for the Mashiach to come. And let's take it a little further. And even though people are going to say, I don't understand. You love us so much, how do you, why'd you let them get their hands on the, 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 the uh, Keruvim? And they're taking the Keruvim out and they're denigrating the Keruvim. Like, what's going on? But the answer is, why don't you think for a minute? What could have happened? What could have happened, they could have burnt the temple and everything inside would have burnt. It did burn. And if they would not have pulled out the Keruvim, then what would not have happened? They, if they if they did not take out the Keruvim, what would not have happened? Well, on the one hand, they wouldn't have denigrated the Keruvim, but more importantly, the Jews would not have known how much Hashem loves them then. So you got to realize that no matter how bad it looked, Hashem was saying, even though it's so offensive that they went and are deriding the Jews, the non-Jews, that's the difference. How do the non-Jews view it and how do the Jews view it? The non-Jews view it, look, look at these immoral Jews are just thinking about intimacy and this and their holiest of holies. But the real message is, no, we have a very close relationship with Hashem. And, and even at this time when it appears that Hashem really is finished with us, couldn't care less about us, Hashem is making a clear message. You should know I love you more now than ever before. I'm sadder now than I ever was. And I'm so sad that I can't give you what I want to give you now and the love is just welling up inside. Unbelievable. So that's also an important message for us to know in our own personal lives. Whenever we go through a personal churban to know that Hashem is, is still loving us in an immense way. Okay. So this explains about this. Uh, the, the fact that when we brought them out, they were embracing. We still not have explained about the, the holidays, why they were embracing, but we'll come to them shortly. But let's come back to the contradiction. Is Tisha B'Av a sad day or a happy day? All the things we do to cause, inflict uh, suffering seems to be it's a sad day. Why the prophet call it a moed? So now, a number of people have said this, and Rafriedman is attributing this to, and I'm quoting this because I have a little bit of uh, Nagias here, to a statement of Ravav Roham Yitzchak Bloch, Hashem should avenge his death. Um, when I was a bacher in Tel Yeshiva, uh, uh, right around this time of year, a little earlier, the 20th of Tammuz was the yurt site for the yeshiva in Europe in Tels, Lithuania. That was the day the Germans wiped out and destroyed the yeshiva, all the students who were there, killed them all out. And there were a few who left before the war, few, few survived, but they basically destroyed the yeshiva, destroyed all the Jews in the city. And the Rosh Hashiva then was Rav Avram Yitzchak Bloch. And he says the following, and other sources say this too. He says, what is the definition of the word Moed? 
We call it a holiday. Let's take a look at some sources. 11, 12, 13. It says, for example, in Parshas Vayikra, Vayidaber Moshe es Moadei Hashem el Bnei Yisrael. And Moshe told the children of Israel these laws of the Moadei Yisrael. English calls it Lord's appointed holidays. Okay, again, in source 10, it says, And on the days of rejoicing and on your festivals. But what does the word Moed really mean? Does it mean festival? So if you look in Shmos, the 13th source, it says something very interesting. This is talking about the building of the Mishkan, and specifically the Ark, and specifically the Keruvim over the Ark. If you look at the Hebrew on the second page, I'm reading from the Hebrew, you got the English on the first page. Pick which one you want. Look at the first word. Look at carefully the verb, uh, the root. Vinoaditi lecho. Vinoaditi. You see in the Hebrew, it's on the flip side, for top line. Vinoaditi means I will arrange my meetings with you there. Vidibarti etcho. Hashem is speaking to Moshe. I will speak to you. Miyala kapars from on top of the kapars. That's over the ark. Mibein shnei akrim between the two kerubim. I will meet you there to give you over all the mitzvahs that I am teaching you. So what does that mean? It appears that the word moed means a gathering. That's you have a word like vaad. Vaad means a, 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 a group that gathers together. Moed comes word to gather. So think about it. So what's a holiday? A holiday is when we're not working. People gather together, together with that Kaddish Baruch Hu. And what did we do on all the holidays? On all the holidays, we left our farms and we gathered together to be with Hashem. So it doesn't really mean the word holiday. I'd have to look in a, you can look a, those of you who've got your uh, computers with you, you know, the definition of a holiday. I don't know what Webster's term is a holiday, a day of celebration. Holy day. Well, but if you're a non-Jew, you also have holidays. And if you're not religious, you still have holidays. They still call it holidays. An atheist still says, I'm taking a holiday. <laughs> We're having a holiday. I think the word came before they did. I understand. But, but, but what's the understanding? What do you mean? It's a holy day. What's, and, and so it's a holy day. So what about what makes it holy? Right, but generally we look at it as a festival. Look, it's a festival, and it's not a contradiction. You can be festive on a holiday. Day of festivity. Day of festivity. All right. Well, anyway. So generally, okay. So when we're talking about Pesach, it's a day we get together with Hashem to celebrate our freedom. Shavuos is the day we get together with Hashem to celebrate the giving of the Torah. Sukkot, we get together with Hashem to celebrate the fact that we're happy with our relationship with Hashem and how He protected us in the desert. Uh, Shabbos is also a moed. We get together on Shabbos with Hashem and celebrate the Shabbos. But if the root definition means that we are meeting and convening together, so the deeper meaning is is that the whole idea of a moed is when we get closer to Hashem. 
That's what makes it a moed. Today is a Tuesday. You got to work hard. You know, it's not easy to get close to Hashem on a Tuesday in the middle of the year. It's not. Shabbos, you're not working. We have time to daven. We have time to get close. That's why even Shabbos is a moed. Even though it's not technically, but the, we, we do call it the first of the Moadim. Because there's a chance to get closer to Hashem. Okay? So says Rav Bloch, Zichrona Levrocha. And so who's to say that you only get together for happy occasions? Is it not possible to get together on sad occasions? When we see that God's incredible judgment comes against us and we have to recognize that what Hashem is doing is correct is that also not time to convene with Hashem and to know that uh, as much as things have gone badly for us does it mean that Hashem is any less close to us and they bring down the story of the last weeks in Tell's Lithuania. And they say he, his interpretation was so much um, acted out in his life. It says that the Nazis came three weeks before to Tell's. And they separated the men from the women and put them on a work detail. And they gave them terrible, disgusting work to do. And they hit them. And all just terrible, terrible things that they did to them. And uh, the day before was especially brutal. And at this point, everybody knew that it wasn't much longer to the whole city's going to get destroyed. And on that, on the 19th day of Tammuz, after that very uh, brutal assault on all the rabbis and the students, so Rabbi Yitzhak went uh, back to his home and he was so tired he could barely move. He wanted to go and open up the Rambam so that he could review the laws of Kiddush Hashem. Because they knew that tomorrow they were going to be killed, sanctifying God's name. And he had his daughter, who survived the war, and uh, read him out some of the laws and uh, of the laws of Kiddush Hashem. So they'd be prepared for it. And that day... He was heard to say, he lifted up his face, heavenly word, and I'll say it in Yiddish and I'll say it in English. He says, Which means, Almighty, you are big and great are your actions. He was so tired he couldn't read inside even. But his daughter read to him the words of the Rambam that would explain exactly what to do to sanctify the name. And so it was on a Tuesday, the next day, on the 20th of Tamos, the soldiers came and they hauled all the men off to a field, to a big open field, open grave, and just heard the sound of bullets. They all fell into the ground. And you could hear the voice of Rav Bloch still saying, Shema Yisrael, Hashem Elokeinu, Hashem Echad. So this is exactly what the idea of a moed is even for Tisha B'Av. A moed is a time 
that we connect to Hashem. We meet with Hashem, we converge with Hashem. And it doesn't have to be because we're singing and dancing. You can connect to Hashem under many circumstances. And no less is the greatness of connecting to Hashem when you're going through trials and tribulations in life. Because just like when Hashem, when they, when they took the Keruvim out, Hashem said, I want you to know, I love you now more than ever. And the fact that Hashem has to enable a Holocaust to happen is because He loves us more now than ever. Because had God not brought a Holocaust, then the Jews would have never survived the assimilation that was going on in Europe. And it was a discipline that Hashem had to lovingly give. And he certainly would rather have embraced the Jews. And a clever Jew understands that. Rav Dessler, uh, not Rav Dessler, Rav Bloch understands this. And others give this same explanation as well. And if you look at the Maharal, the Maharal, I don't have it in here, but the Maharal gives the same explanation. And with this he explains a famous Gemara and Makas, which is also Mishnah Pirkei Avos, source 14. Anyone who belittles the festivals is likened to one who worships idols. And what do you mean belittle? Belittle means, you know, you don't go to shul on Yontif. You, you work on Cholomoyd. Cholomoyd is also a holiday. It's not listening. You, you denigrate it. You don't treat it special in whatever way. It's like you worship idols. And he explains the morals. I'm just going to quote for you from my safer here. He says, when two people get together and they're misvadim yachad, and they get together, that's nikra moed. That's called a moed, a convening together. And so it is a regal, a Jewish holiday, where Hashem is misvadim amo. He gets together with his people and connects with them. Yontif and Cholomoyed is a time designated for us to cleave to Hashem. That's what it's about. You don't have time during the rest of the year to do it as much as you'd like to. This designated to be close to Hashem. And therefore, when a person says, you know what, I'd rather do other things than come close to Hashem on this holiday, that means you're rejecting the opportunity to get close to Hashem. And isn't that what idol worship is all about? Idol worship is where you want to get closer to sources other than Hashem. People don't realize this. They think Cholomoyd is, is all Chol and not Moed. It's called Chol HaMoed. It's Chol that you're not prohibited in cooking or, or carrying or driving. That's Chol. It's not like Shabbos and Yontav. But it's still Moed. It's still to convene with God. But Hashem makes it easy on you. You could drive to Shul on Cholomite. You could cook a fresh steak and turn the lights on and even enjoy it better without any restrictions and still be close to Hashem. So those that are Mavaza the Moe, those who denigrate the holiday, they're showing that the, it's not so important to be close. This is my one chance to get close to Hashem, right? Imagine, you know, your, your husband and wife are very busy. And one of the spouses arranges that we're going to take a day off and just celebrate our anniversary together. And the one spouse says, you know, I uh, have a, uh, uh, a bowling tournament with my friends. I'm sorry, I can't make it. <laughs> what does that say about your relationship? 
continues the morale and just explain more. He says, so when the Jews came to Jerusalem, he said, that coming to Jerusalem itself, their coming makes it a moed. If you don't come, then it's not a moed. A non-Jew could have a holiday. They have Christmas. What do you do? We had it all in our house. We celebrate the holidays, you know, you know, at a cottage somewhere. No, but you weren't getting together with God. The fact that the Jews all went to Jerusalem and got together, and that's what the Torah says in Source 15. Shalosh pamim bashana. Three times a year. On your mail shall appear before the Master, your Lord. What makes a Jewish holiday a holiday is when the Jews come to Jerusalem. Then it's the holiday. If they don't go, it's no, it's not a moe. No one's getting together. That's the whole purpose of the holiday. Okay, we don't have a temple nowadays. So how do we do that? We go to shul. You try to get as many Jews together to worship Hashem in shul. That's why the davening is longer. We have time, we don't have to rush things. And we couple, oh, it's such a long davening, such a long davening. No, no, it's an enjoyable, long time to be with Hashem. Study Torah, same thing like that. And that's why those who denigrate the holidays, he's showing, I don't really want to be so close to Hashem. So now, he understands something beautiful, says Rav Friedman. What did, what did that uh, Rimagash say? Rimagash says that really the two Kruvim really were never facing each other. But when they came to Jerusalem, and when the Jews said, we're willing to hike to Jerusalem all the way from Tzvaz, because us being with Hashem is important. So the fact, and that's the whole point, that when they came, and the priests would then roll away the curtains. The Kerubim, mirac- the Rimagash said, they miraculously hugged each other. Because that was not the standard position. When did the Kerubim come together? Only when the Jews demonstrated that they wanted to be together with Hashem. And when do you demonstrate that? When you go out of your way to make a trip to Yerushalayim three times a year. And Yerushalayim, it wasn't with the, the rapid transit that they have now from Tel Aviv. And did they finish it yet? No, no, no. They finished it, yeah? To Jerusalem. You can make it in 40 minutes or less, 30 minutes. But I'm going around Tzvass and taking two weeks to get there. And two weeks back. The fact that the Jewish people went, that created the miracle. That the Cherubim would then go back and hug each other. And that was the purpose they were doing, to show that you have accomplished your mission. And... Therefore, even if they were bad, and even the temple deserves to be destroyed, and we're not doing the will of Hashem in general, but the fact that Jews would still, whichever Jew came to Jerusalem, even during those bad times, for those Jews, they saw the Keruvim hugging each other, and was those Jews that fulfilled the requirement of the Moed, and they were feeling Hashem's love to them. And therefore, we can understand very good that uh, when the temple was destroyed, even on Tishabov, Hashem was saying, I want you to know, I still love you more than anything else. Even, even if I have to destroy the temple, but I still love you. 
And therefore, on such a day on Tisha B'Av, when we sit down and we reflect on why we don't have a temple, we reflect on the fact that we like the base Hamikdash rebuilt, and we yearn for that to come, and we get together. The fact we all get together in the shul and sit on the floor together and think about why we don't have the temple, and yearn to have the temple again. So we are showing our togetherness with Hashem, even though there is no temple. And the fact you see thousands and thousands of Jews who do that and sit on the floor together, that makes it a moed. And once it's a moed, there's reason to feel good that we're still connected to Hashem. And whenever you're feeling connected to Hashem, you don't fall on your head and you don't say supplications like that. Okay. So now let's take it a step further now. Uh, one second. Let me just get everything over here, uh, straight over here. So, so I have a question. Yeah. So uh, only during the holidays, that was the time they used to face each other. And when they destroyed, that time it was faced. So when the Kohen used to go every day, he used to not They did not the go into the holies of holies. Oh, you never, okay, you, did, the you didn't Yom move Yom the curtain. Yom no, they never moved the curtain. Even the Kohanim couldn't go inside. No one, just the Kohen Godel on Yom Kippur. But Yom Kippur was a holiday. Yes, okay. Yom Kippur was a holiday. But clearly, clearly, it it, it was understood that during the year, we could have challenges getting close to Hashem. Mm -hmm. It's it's hard to get close to Hashem during the year. But if everyone's going out of the way on Yom Tov to go and be together with Hashem, then certainly the crew of them have to move. Have to show that they're feeling. People are feeling close to Hashem. So anytime anybody saw, it was hugging each other. But the fact that you came by definition means you're being close to Hashem. Right. Mm-hmm. So Even if you were doing averus, but when you came into your shalom, you were doing tshuva. At least for the time you were there, you had done. You could. You were so overwhelmed by the base of Migas, you had to do tshuva. First of all, you did any averus, you saved up all your korban chatas to bring when you came. <laughs> You bring all your korban chathas and you get your forgiveness for that. Right. So let's go back to that first statement. The very first statement of the rabbi, the Ovi Yisrael, says these 21 days between 17th of Thomas and Israel, they correspond to the 21 days of the holidays. And he was saying that this is what's the, that, that these are the source for all the holidays. What does he mean to say by this? And the answer is very simple. If the whole purpose of the holidays is to show that the Jews will convene together with Hashem, and that makes it a moed. So if someone is able to want to get close to Hashem in these very sad days, when you think it's so hard to want to get close to Hashem. But if yet these three weeks we focus on our prayers and our connecting to Hashem, and we follow all these restrictions that we have for the three weeks, it's meant to feel this closeness to Hashem. These restrictions are playing down the pleasures of the body. What keeps us away from Hashem? It's the pleasures of the body keep us away from Hashem. When we cut down on the pleasures of the body and we're focusing more on why we don't have a temple and we yearn for Hashem to be back in our lives, that brings the closest to Hashem. And if we have these three weeks under our belts, then certainly what is going to happen, we will merit that the holidays will come back and that we'll be able to celebrate those holidays in a happy way. Okay. And that's why the Gemara Atz explains now the Gemara that says in source number 16, yes. Kol Yerushalayim, anyone who mourns over Jerusalem, Zochavaroa b'simcha, so merits and sees its joy. Mm-hmm. 
It certainly it doesn't say will merit and see its joy. It says sees its joy. Well, the simple meaning is, you know, when Mashiach will come, you'll be able to enjoy it. And it makes sense now because what do you really want to enjoy? The closeness to Hashem. So if you're feeling the closeness to Hashem when there is no temple, can you imagine what kind of closeness you're going to feel when there is a temple? But it's in, but that's not the exact translation of the Talmud. Talmud saying doesn't say will rejoice; says rejoices in the present tense. Mm-hmm. How does that make sense? There is no temple yet in the present tense. So let's take it a step further and explain another very important idea. And this, I think, is the most important point of the class. Although everything else has been pretty good so far. Mm-hmm. Is it possible for us without a temple? without this strong connection to Hashem, not during the three weeks, for us to feel this connection to Hashem. Can we? It's not so easy. In, in the Muslim prayers, we always say, because our sins, we were taken out of Galinu Maritzenu, we're chased out of the base of English. We can't serve God in the temple anymore. We can't come close to the temple anymore. It's hard. We try our best in a shul. We try these things and it's as close as we can. But is there something maybe even better? So the Gemara explains something in source 17. Since the day that the base of Migdash was destroyed, HaKadosh Baruch Hu has nothing to do with this world but the four cubits of Halacha. The Dalit Amas Shel Halacha. Which it's a, it's a, it's a rhetor, it's a figure of speech. We know there's four amas. It's like four cubits. It's like uh, about six feet. That usually is the space that a person has his breathing space. So express. So now there's no temple. You know, Hashem. The only place Hashem can sit is where someone's learning Torah. And that's what it says in source number. Uh, well, really going back to source 18, if you recall, when we were told to build the temple, it says. Build for me a temple and I will dwell in them. And as we explained, the real purpose of Hashem is to dwell in every Jew. The temple just made it conducive for the Jew to feel that connection to Hashem. So the Gemara Brachas is really the source uh, for Gemara 17. It says, even if one sits alone and studies Torah, the Shekhinah is with him. When you study alone, Torah, the Shechina is with you. Okay? So what does that mean? It means that the studying of Torah, even though the Beis HaMikdash was the place that was dedicated for the closest Hashem, and you can convene with Hashem. But remember, the very original Beis HaMikdash was the Mishkan, and it had the Keruvim, and that's where God spoke his Torah to Moshe, and that's where he convened with Moshe. It was called the Ohel Moed, the tent of meeting. It was a place where we convened together. But what was the convening for? That's where we learned Torah. Hashem taught us Torah, heard the word of Hashem. So it seems that that was the original, that's the first time you have the word Moed. First time. That becomes the source. Getting together, what what do you get together? With Torah, that's how you get together with Hashem. Studying his Torah is how you get together with Hashem. So when we had a Beis HaMikdash, and we had the two cherubic-like figures, and that was telling us, the fact you've come to me, that's amazing. We're together. But remember, you really get together with me by studying my Torah. 
That's the way they always understood it. And when there is no temple, it's no different. You can still do that. And this is a great message that Hashem was telling the Jewish people when the temple was destroyed. When the temple was destroyed, they brought out the cherubic-like figures. And they said, what? What's going on? This is what the Jews do. But it wasn't for you, Goy, Mr. Goy. It was for the Jews. The Jews who know they're leaving now for a long time and they're not coming back for quite a while. But Hashem says, but look, look, the Kerubim are hugging each other. And you should know that I love you now more than I ever loved you. And I want you to know something else. Now that you're hitting the road to go to Babylonia, you should know that you could still be hugging me every single day. If you're studying Torah, you'll be able to hug me. And that's interestingly, I don't want to get into this now, but even though 70 years later the Jews are able to return. But you see, Torah really grew, grew greatly in Bavel. And many Jews felt, for better or for worse, we don't necessarily have to come back to Israel because we kind of learned the message that we could stay close to Hashem even not with a base on Migdash. They already did it for many years and, and Torah was thriving in Bavel. It's always a question. Why didn't? Why were there great scholars? Well, why did you go back to Israel? Okay, I don't want to get into it. It's a, it's a lot, but it's just one little point. But how could they not be in Jerusalem? How could they not be in the temple? The answer is because they already were learned to come to close to Hashem by the study of Torah, even without the temple. And not to, you know, and, and obviously there were great, great rabbis who were not going back because they felt maybe the Torah in Bubble was greater than the Torah in Israel. I don't want to get into the details of that. But, but what is clearly told is that we, yes, can get very close to Hashem through the study of Torah. And that is what the Kruvim were all about. And that's how you create your moed with Hashem all the time, is when you study the Torah of Hashem. Now, I want to elaborate on this, and really we spoke about this a number of months ago in one of the Pirkei Avos classes with Rabbi Niona, but it's certainly not everybody was there. And uh, and even though we're there, a little repetition doesn't hurt. And I've got it over here in source number 20, Rabbi Niona. Rabbi Niona on the Mishnah that says, Source 20. I got the Hebrew first, then the English. A boor cannot fear sin, an ignorant person, an amoretz, a man land, cannot be pious. So we're going to pick up the last part. What does it mean an ignorant person cannot be pious? So he says like this. But an ignorant, I'll read from the English. But an ignoramus is involved with the creatures through <laughs> important traits and has a few straight dispositions. He knows how to protect himself and so he guards himself from transgressions. And Amartz, he knows enough Torah to do the mitzvahs and not to sin. He knows how to, yeah, and I put him bold. And he is even able to be righteous. He can be a tzaddik. And to do and to fulfill what he is told that he is commanded. But But you can't be a chassid. But only one who is great in Torah knowledge can reach a level of piety. You want to be a chassid? Pious? You got to learn a lot of Torah. It's not enough just to know what the laws are. You could be a tzaddik. I don't know. I do every mitzvah. I don't do any of Eros. I study Torah a little bit. I'm busy. I work a whole week. But I'm a tzaddik. I never sin. But you'll never be a chassid, pious, unless you really know Torah. Why? 
Because being pious, a chassid, since it is a trait that requires purity of heart and cleanliness of soul. And the ignoramus does not have the wisdom in his hand to veer from the middle market to the far end to fulfill going beyond the letter of the law. The mark, the trait, hallmark of the pious, the chassid, go beyond the letter of the law. And because of this, he's called an Am Ha'aretz, since he is with them in Derech Eretz, good manners, because most of the world is like him. What is Rabbi Yonah saying? You can be a good Jew, not, you're, good, you're a fine Jew, you're even a tzaddik, but a chassid you're not. And we explained, what is a chassid? We said, what's the difference between a tzaddik and a chassid? And what's the answer? If a father asks one kid, I'd like a glass of water. So the tzaddik gives his father a glass of water right away. What does the chassid do? He gives him an espresso. If I said, I didn't ask for water. I didn't ask for espresso. We give water. He says, Abba, I know you love espresso. The fact you told me you a water, it means I know you're thirsty. But I just don't do what to, what you asked for. I, I do what I know you really want. When you ask me something, I'm trying to know what is it that you really want. That's a chassid. He goes beyond the letter of the law. And that means you really love this person. Hashem gives us mitzvahs. A tzaddik will do the mitzvahs. But a chassid, what does Hashem really want? He's going to way beyond what the letter of the law is. Now, to be able to do that, it requires a, a purity of heart and soul, says Rabbi Yonah. And most importantly, to want to do the will of Hashem. And it's not easy to know what the will of Hashem is if your will is a very strong thing also. Because if your will is very strong, it's hard to see someone else's will. And how do you take care of that? Rabbi Yonah says, only a person who's free from any self-bias will be able to be a chassid. A person who says, you know, my will is to relax and be comfortable. Oh, my father's asking for a glass of water. Okay, it's a mitzvah, I'll do it, but I want to get back to my comfort as quickly as possible. I'll give him the glass of water. But if your will isn't the most important thing, you're covering him, he says, well, what does my father really want? I know he loves espressos. That's going to take me 10 minutes to make it. But, but, but my will isn't so important. And that is all what are our relations that we have with Hashem. The Gemara said that the Kerubim, when were they hugging each other? When people did the will of Hashem, not the mitzvahs of Hashem. When were they not hugging each other? When they weren't doing the will of Hashem. Doesn't mean they were doing Averos. They weren't doing the will of Hashem. They did every mitzvah they had to do, but they didn't go beyond. Okay, but you know what? Doing every mitzvah. But then if you're going to Yerushalayim, man, there's no way you can't do it unless it's the will of Hashem. Because going to Jerusalem is no picnic. It's no fun. It's a mitzvah. It's not an easy mitzvah. And unfortunately, many Jews didn't go because it wasn't such an easy mitzvah. Um, A Jew who went to Jerusalem, that means three times a year, and you're a farmer, and you don't got that kind of time to waste, means that Hashem's needs come before your needs. And you can say, well, what do I have to go to Jerusalem for? I didn't do any sins this last quarter. I don't have to bring a korban chattis. doesn't matter. Don't you want to just be with Hashem? The will of Hashem is you should be with Him. That's the real will. It's not that you should do mitzvahs. The will of Hashem is you should cleave to Him. Now the mitzvahs are a means to cleave to Him. 
If it's a means to cleave to him, you want the easy way out of mitzvahs or you want to do it in the best way possible? And obviously going to Jerusalem was a hard mitzvah and the only way you could do it was in the best way possible. You couldn't give $100 and send someone instead of you. A lot of times you can make a shliach to do a mitzvah for you. Let's say you had to bring a korban. You could send someone to bring a korban for you. You could do that. A lot of things you could do a shaliach. You can have to pay someone to clean your house before Pesach. But who can you pay to go to Jerusalem for you? <laughs> Nobody. You got to be there. You got to do it yourself. So Rabbeinu Yonah is saying that the only way you can be a chassid is number one, you got to remove all biases. That's what he said over there. You need a level. Of, what did he say? Biety. Uh, no, but he said, uh, does not have the wisdom in his hand, right? You need, a, you need a purity of heart and a cleanness of soul. Where do you get the purity of heart and cleanness of soul? It comes from the study of Torah. Remember, it says after the Shema in verse 21, it says, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your means. Now, I understand I could love God with all with all my Soul means I can give him my life for Hashem. All my means is all my property. But how can you love God with all your heart? All your heart means you. All your whole heart is for Hashem. But we know that King Solomon says in Ecclesiastes that people like their, their their own lives and they have their own interests too. How is it possible to love Hashem with your whole heart and leave nothing else for Hashem? That's not such an easy thing to do. The answer is if you get totally involved in Hashem's Torah. And that's what the Pasa continues to say. And these words which I command you this day shall be upon your heart and you shall teach them to your sons and speak of them when you sit in your house and when you walk on the way, when you lie down, when you rise up. What's the Pasa say? You're always talking Torah. The only thing you're thinking about is, is Torah. All you want to know is the will of Hashem. That's the only thing. You're not interested in politics. You're not interested in economics. You want to know one thing. What's the next thing Hashem wants? And I'm going to go deeply and try and understand everything Hashem wants of you. You fill your whole heart with Torah because all you want to know is about Hashem. And that's how it becomes Bechal Levavacha. And that's what the Ramam says in Source 22 when he talks about how we can stay away from lewd thoughts. He said a person should always turn himself and his thoughts to the words of the Torah and expand his knowledge and wisdom. For the thoughts of forbidden relations grow strong solely in a heart which is empty of wisdom. You've got nothing on your mind. You can think of everything else. Rev Dessler says a person can do all the mitzvahs, but he can always he can do them sometimes without any love of Torah. And we do mitzvahs without a love of Torah, it means you can do the mitzvahs, but you still love yourself very much. But if you dedicate yourself to really understand the will of Hashem and to love Hashem and to love His Torah, then it will nullify all your self interests, and then you're going to be able to be totally dedicated to Hashem. And when you do that then you're able to bond with Hashem. able to cleave to Hashem. And that's what a chassid really is. We have many Jews, unfortunately, who figure all I got to do is what God tells me to do. That's a servant. That's not a son. Hashem says, you're my children. And Hashem wants us to act like children. And we should want to treat Hashem like a father. He's not just a king. He's our father. And a father is somebody you want to get very close to. And the mitzvahs are a means to get close to Hashem, but only if you divest yourself from your own personal self-interests. If your interests are primary and the Torah is just a cherry on the top of your life, 
you're never going to be a chassid. You're never going to want to do the will of Hashem. You're never going to really want to get close to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. You're never going to really want to be like the Keruvim. And that's what the barometer is. It's not that the Keruvim just are there next to each other, not just looking at each other, but they're embracing with each other. And it's hard. It's hard to give up everything and want to be close to Hashem. But really, what Hashem really would love to see is that every day is a moed. Every day is a holiday. And when Mashiach comes, that's the way it's going to be. But when, but what causes the destruction of the temple? What causes the destruction of the temple is that the Jews are not so interested in being Hasidim. They're not that interested in connecting totally to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And therefore, God has to destroy the temple. But when he destroys the temple, he says, but I want you to know, it can always be a holiday, even without the temple. Because I have the four cubits of halacha. And if you totally focus on clinging to me, although others don't have a temple, you will have that experience of that temple in your life. And that is why when, they, when the temple was destroyed, indeed the Kerubim were hugging each other. And that was the special message. I said, this can happen. So now, I'm not going to get to everything, but let's go back to what I started with. So why is it that I made a siyam today and I could eat meat? The answer is, to make a siyam means you've got to finish a whole chunk of Torah. You can't, it's not like, well, today I'm in the mood, tomorrow I'm not in the mood. You know, after Purim, I sit, I, I learn with Mayer every day. Right after, right after I give I daven, I give my first class, 8 o'clock, he calls every day from Hamilton, a half an hour, learn on the phone. Every day, Monday through Friday. Wow. Without fail, unless there's something you know unusual going on. Every day we learn. Now, there's other things I might want to do, but the first thing I want to do is learn with my son and together with Hashem. This is how a father is meant to bond with a son, and that's how a family is meant to bond with God. And Gomorrah is not always so easy. Sometimes you get the hard Gomorrah. You say, let's just give up. No, no, we're going to continue. We want to know the will of Hashem. When you finish an entire tractate, that means there's a commitment. That means you want to know the will of Hashem. If you just want to know to do some mitzvahs, you don't have to learn Gomorrah at all. You could know, you could be a tzaddik without learning any Gomorrah. When you're learning Gemara, you want to get to know Shem much deeper. You want to have a more intimate relationship with Hashem. You want to know not just what Allah is, you want to know the will of Hashem. And you want to know the will of Hashem, so then you're studying His Talmud, and you study it until you finish the whole thing. And now that you've finished the whole thing, you said God only has the four cubits of Halacha. That's all He has. And therefore, such a person, when he makes us see him, he's close to Hashem. Now, why are we not having meat on these nine days? To fill the great distance we have from Hashem. To try to connect to Hashem through suffering. And to realize why does Hashem have to punish us? And why do they have to make it so difficult for us? And we can come to close to Hashem in that way, but we have to not eat meat and not enjoy things and say, you know how much Hashem really loves us, but He had to hold back and He really would like to give us more and all these things. That's one way of getting close to Hashem and convening with Hashem. But if you're studying His Torah and finishing a tractate, then you yourself are experiencing the closeness of Hashem. And if you're already experiencing the closeness of Hashem, then why not have some meat and celebrate the fact that you have that close with Hashem? And that's why the rabbi said you could have some meat. And why do we have Sefer Dvarim to start off before Tisha B'Av? What do we need Sefer Dvarim for? 
So as you'll start reading Sefer Dvarim, you may not see it so much this week, but as we move into Sefer Dvarim, there's one word that repeats itself often in the entire book of Dvarim many, many times. And that word is Dvekus, cleaving to Hashem. The first four books of Torah never mentions once the word cleaving to Hashem. In the book of Dvar, it says when you move on to later parshas, it keeps saying, It says, Go in his ways. So many words that we really have just about all the commandments already. Okay, some get reviewed, this and that. But really, what, what is the whole book of Dvarim all about? It's not to know the mitzvahs of Hashem, but it's to know the will of Hashem. The two first paragraphs of the Shema are in Sefer Dvarim. Tzitzis, the, the third paragraph, that's in Bamidbar. We repeat the Aseris Adibros. Why do we repeat them? Well, the first time, they were for commandments. Second one is to know the will of Hashem. They're not merely commandments. They're the will of Hashem. And, and we, so Hashem says, you're going to go to Eretz Yisrael and don't be afraid of the enemies. And don't, and don't give, and don't uh, get too friendly with the enemies because really you got to be connected to me and not connected to the non-Jews. And until now, he doesn't warn us about the non-Jews. He has to warn, no, you remember, it's all about being connected to me. It's not just about doing mitzvahs. And that's why the book of Dvorim really is trying to teach us how to be a chosid. And that was the problem. The problem for the Jews in the temple wasn't that they weren't tzaddikim, but they weren't chassidim. You don't care about the will of Hashem. And once you stop caring about the will of Hashem, then a lot of other things fall apart as well. And therefore, we begin right before Tisha B'av, is to understand what is the will of Hashem. Eila Hadvarm. These, in other words, and Moshe was able to give it personal. In first four books was Hashem really saying it. The fifth one is Moshe. Moshe is speaking to the Jews and Hashem said, what you say is part of my canonized Torah and I want to hear from you how you feel about your relationship with Hashem. So the first four books, can you, you could be a tzaddik when you finish the first four books. And that's good. But don't forget the fifth book. The fifth book, Mishnah Torah. You're repeating it. Why do you have to repeat it? I already know it. The answer is, it doesn't matter if I know it. I want to be close to you, Hashem. I want to make sure I get it really good. I now want to repeat it from the pointage point of not to do the mitzvahs, but to do the will of Hashem. And that's Sefer Dvarim. And that has to start right before the temple is destroyed. To know that even the temple is destroyed, you want to do the will of Hashem. And then you can have the temple with you throughout the year. So Hashem should help us that this next few days as we run up to Yom Tisha B'av, is that we should really experience the moed, the really getting close to Hashem and the inner joy, the inner joy that's not so expressed so outwardly, the inner joy that Rav Bloch described even on his last moments, the inner joy to realize that we're so lucky we can get together and sit on the floor together as a community and feeling close to Hashem even from the floor and then we'll feel it when we're with the base of Migdash. Okay. I-